is Richard Wilson speaking. Um, there's some people who know me as Victor Meldrew, but as far as I'm concerned, Victor Meldrew's dead. And uh, thank you for downloading One Foot in the Podcast. Hello, welcome back to One Foot in the Podcast for part two of Endgame. I'm joined with Ben once again. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tom. Thank you for returning. And here we are to finish off, round off the final special of One Foot in the Podcast. Um, what's happened so far? So we left on a sort of a, a cliffhanger for Victor, shall we say, who's, they've ended up, I mean, this, this, this episode's been part spook, part mission holiday. Victor Market, the only thing they've got in common so far is they just want to get away. They're in a cottage that Betty and Derek, unbeknownst to them before they arrived, are currently staying in. Margaret and Victor have turned up thinking that the address that was left for them simply to contact the landlady of this property is actually the address that Derek and Betty are staying at. Therefore, a bit of a cock-up. And Victor found himself in bed with Derek and Betty he made his way through to the bathroom when he thought it was just the exit of the bedroom. And, and that's where we left it. And he's in the bathroom. And uh, Paul Bugger has got to really explain himself here. Don't know how he's going to do it. We don't know what he... Well, he, an element of debate and how he gets out, we'll talk about in a minute. So I think we should dive straight in to part two. Following morning, the shot opens up with Victor laying on the floor on his side, stiff as a board as you would be on the hard floor all night. The sun sort of beaming down on him. Victor looks out the window as if to suggest he might have to escape through this route. And then instantly Derek gets up. I think he thinks he's probably suffered some sort of hallucination. Just He's just a bit, yeah, I think he's a bit traumatised. He goes into the bathroom and with some immense tension, he opens up the, the shower curtain, which we think, oh, Victor's behind it. Oh, he's not. He just looks honestly traumatised. Like with the, with, we first cut to him opening the curtains in the bedroom and then he glances back at the bed and gives this sort of shudder yeah. as he remembers <laughs> visualising Victor's face right next to his the night before. Yeah. yeah. So it's, really, it's, it's obviously got to him. Yeah. He's really wondering whether or not this is this has happened. He may, you know, I mean, it's. I think I'd be pretty freaked out if I opened my eyes and saw a sort of... <laughs> Unwelcome face in my bed. Yeah. Betty's making herself nice and comfortable in the conservatory, getting some downtime. And as she looks up, (laughs) we see we see her 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 reaction very briefly um, before the audience gets to see Victor sprawled out on top of the glass rooftop window of the conservatory in his white underwear. Great music over this scene. (laughs) It's a delayed scream, isn't there? Because I think we see Derek back in the bathroom. Yeah, both Derek and Margaret, Margaret. we we cut to them both in quick succession. They both hear this scream. In (laughs) fact, it wakes Margaret up because she's still in bed. Yeah. Completely oblivious to all this. I mean, she she won't have even known Victor had gone. No, that's true. Yeah, we see a shot of the point of view from Betty and of Victor. I wonder if that shot of Victor is a stuntman because as he's le- as he's face down in the in the foreground in the foreground is 
just the back of it's his head. But actually, as I look at it, that isn't Richard Wilson, I'm sure. I'm sure it is a oh, stuntman. Okay, I've never noticed. I have to take another look. Yeah. But then he's clearly yeah, led on top of something, because that is clearly Victor, Victor, Wilson, Victor Wilson, Richard Wilson. That scream from Betty is the alarm bell to say there's been an absolute cock-up going on here. And all is seemingly resolved as they're seen out of the house by Betty. And Derek, Derek is sat- still looking very shell-shocked, though, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's, as he says in this scene, he's wondering now what's nightmare and what's reality. <laughs> yeah, clutching his cup of tea. Mm. He's... um heading back into old habits of anxiety isn't he yeah you can see him you know you can see his sanity slowly falling away from him it does mirror patrick and pippa because betty is sort of once once again sort of swept this under the carpet oh it doesn't matter they there was a perfect explanation you know we've still got much of a holiday left she's just trying to you know just trying to calm him down just wants him to relax it's another couple of weeks of peace and quiet and as Derek starts to relax, <laughs> as he starts to relax, uh, anti, like anti-terrorism, there's a, raid. there's a raid, like an anti-terrorism <laughs> unit, and Rickles comes storming in to arrest poor, poor old Derek. That's it. No tricks, no clever moves, no funny business. Derek John McVitie, you're under arrest for the kidnapping of Mrs. Saniti Khan. <laughs> Derek John McVitie is his full name, as they call out, and he's arrested. It's gone from bad to worse. Just um, abruptly ends that scene. Yep, he's he's been arrested for the kidnapping of Mrs. Saniti Khan. So unjustly, we're back at the, the Meldry house. I mean, both Victor and Margaret are absolutely exhausted. Victor has had enough, well, he has enough energy to want to rec- reclaim the holidays, build up momentum again, build up the spirits, and just head down to the coast in the caravan. There's still plenty of time to enjoy themselves. Margaret interrupts Victor with... So very much some angst and tension. For some bizarre reason, I am not in the mood. I wonder why. Now, if you want to take your hook with your hell home on wheels, fine. Off you go, and good luck. It does sort of start out with that comedy roar and growl that soon becomes very awkward and a not-so-tongue-in-cheek type bickering, like we were talking about earlier. It's really... This is, we've, not, we've not seen this before on our screens, Victor and Margaret arguing they, the way they do. It's not that funny. Not like this. No. Yeah. It's, no it's, this is what you'd get out of an ITV drama more than, yeah. more than a, a comedy sitcom. But yeah, she explodes at him for some bizarre reason. I'm not in the mood. Yeah. Um, but this is her fault. Yeah. She made this mistake. This is... And the, yet even this is still Victor's fault. Um, and she tells him that, you know, whatever, you go. Fine, I'm not. If you want to go out in your caravan, you're welcome mm. to do so. Off you pop. And then we end up talking about I can't remember actually. Is it is it the thing. is it the underlying thing that is causing Margaret some anguish as she, she starts to doubt whether Victor is innocent in this identity parade as seen earlier with the flashing of the women? Because obviously he was on top of Betty's conservatory looking down, therefore is that that's triggered a it's made her hesitant to think, is my husband capable of doing this? Which is absolutely mad because she knows what Victor's like. She she would have known the explanation of why he was on top of that conservatory window. So she's making the connection to, you know, old man um, flashing at, at women. It's like the other things you haven't told me about. Yeah, that really riles Victor up, doesn't it? You're not still on about this haunted caravan, are you? I wish I'd never told you now. Oh, yes? 
Like the other things you haven't told me about. What's that supposed to mean? Margaret, just what the hell's that supposed to mean? You have me believe that these things will all just happen because that's the way the world is, but I don't see it. Do they, Victor, just happen? Or do you make them happen? Make them? Oh, yes. That was just a ticket all that this morning. I mean, there's nothing I like better than sprawling about in a glass roof without any clothes on, terrorising innocent housewives. <laughs> but... What? And she's like, do these things just happen? You know, these things that you're talking about that make the world a, a miserable place that I don't happen to see. Or do you make, you make them, them happen? happen. Yeah. Such as terrorising innocent housewives. And Victor is utterly perplexed by this. Good. This surely isn't about the other day when I was at the police... <laughs> you don't seriously think it could be me? That pervert they're after in the cap and the raincoat? You don't actually think I could go out and do something like that to women in the street? Well, you certainly don't do it to me. <laughs> we learn at this point I think where at least some of Margaret's frustration has been coming from when she says back well you certainly don't do it to me <laughs> Actually, so bit, similar that's to quite love clever. and death yeah. there's some uh, sexual frustration sexual in there as well I think because there's been a couple of series since we had that sort of sexual tension type lack of sex life activities in the Meldrew uh, world but yeah, it's quite clever how this is a very serious and difficult scene to watch and then it ends with that one-liner. But, yeah, she just sort of struts off and sits down pretending to read her newspaper, that, that sort of thing people do to avoid a further confrontation just to prove a point, just pretending to read. It's like in, um, I think it was in Only a Story, I think she's waiting for Victor to come home and she wants to confront him about the reflexology or the time of the, the missing jewellery. Uh, where yeah. she thinks, you know, she's just playing that stern, stubborn housewife who just doesn't want to be, doesn't want to talk rationally about events. She's yeah. just, she just wants to stay sort of very stoic and sort of aggressively flick through a magazine yeah. that she's just clearly not reading. But there's no way on earth she honestly can believe that Victor is responsible for this. He's not organised enough to no. be. A, a serial yeah. flasher. Yeah, you, um, you you really could cut the atmosphere with a knife, couldn't you? I'm going down to Dorset for a couple of weeks in the caravan. Will you come with me? Right. I'll see you then, Margaret. The way he she delivers that line, it. isn't it? Do you want to come with me? Just totally ignores him. So cold, isn't it? And he, he does yeah. look back at Margaret as he walks off because I think he just hopes that there's a glimmer of almost her repenting her comments. Like, she, I think he just wants her to go, look, sorry, that was out of order. I'll come with you at the very least. But no, nothing. Very cold, which ends that scene. Down at the police station, Rickles, D.I. Rickles is... Sort of playing 
part Mr. Patience, part Mr. Bad Guy role combined. He says he's got all the time in the world for Derek to spill the beans, as it were. And Derek interrupts him with sort of two formal requests. So a phone call to a solicitor and a large tube of hydrocortisone cream. I think that's what he says, yeah. Because there's a laugh track that bit too loud for his dialogue. It's obviously not in front of a audience, I presume. And I think it's, I, I looked it up and it's just for if you develop a rash through anxiety. So Yeah. Yeah, he's very, very stressed. And God, you would be, wouldn't you? You have no idea why you're there. And you are. Well, how would you even begin to do that interview? You've kidnapped Mrs. Arcani. Well, who the hell is Mrs. Sorry, Mrs. Khan? Who the hell is Mrs. Khan? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, no he way knows you can what... even defend yourself from this. I know. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, he knows why he's there, but he can't think for the life of him. Why would he be accused? I wonder if he thinks this at this stage it's something to do with Victor. In Derek's mind, he's already experienced this strange encounter with Victor, but I wonder if he thinks, is this something to do with my neighbours? I, I wonder if his sense of reality has been so distorted by this point that he actually maybe thinks he actually might have kidnapped Mrs. Khan and just doesn't remember it. <laughs> Perhaps. Who knows? He's certainly looking very ill in this scene anyway. He's yeah. kind of shivering and you yeah. know, he's, he's, he's not firing on all cylinders. At no. no, he's definitely getting the same kind of physical um, responses of health from when his ex slept with the windscreen wiper at this stage. Yep. It's fair to say. Definitely. Somewhere in Dorset, late at night, Victor's arrived in the in the dark of the night, um, holding his map. We assume he just doesn't know where he is. To have GPS sat in that bay. Ham, the handbrake seems a, a bit dodgy, and there's again more touch of the starbound feel, a bit creak, pianist, spooky music. This is this is very creaky music, yeah. Yeah, very creaky. Um, middle yeah, of nowhere. So in the middle of nowhere. Oh. There's a there's a sort of howling wind. Yeah. Um, there's an aerial shot of the caravan and he's, as he's getting out of the car. And Very eerie, yeah. And he sort of enters quite apprehensively. So the, <laughs> the, the fear has been firmly planted now and he finds that something flies off one of the counters in the, in the little kitchenette yeah. thing. Like a bat or something. Uh, poltergeist in there already. Um, so Velda Bassett's doing her thing, but it turns out it's just the window open at the back. And then he has a look at his suitcase and sees this weird sludge sort of emerging from it very slowly. It's like something out of X-Files, isn't it? Something that's unfamiliar. And it's, uh, but when he opens up his suitcase, it's just, of course, the foam, the shaving foam that he was supposed to return that he didn't in the end. So that was a bit of a funny one. Not funny, but you know, don't know if it's a continuity thing or just people forget to return things and they still use them. Um, yeah, you just didn't get round to it. Yeah, all these tiny little details do come full circle, which I really like with the, the foam. And then another external shot of the caravan from above, more spooky music building up further tensions. And that's that scene, really, very, very brief, briefest of scenes. We're back uh, again. Back with day, Margaret. Back with Margaret in the, in the daytime. Again, Margaret's scenes seem to open up with her using a telephone. A number of times this has happened, like Wisdom the Witch and Starbound. It's most scenes she's on the telephone, which always has plays a fairly big part in um, in the plot. And on this occasion, she is so frustrated, she just smashes the phone, which actually, the consequence of that is it makes it work. We hear a dialing tone and she can um, 
follow up a previously cancelled appointment. Uh, she wants to uh, reinstate with the doctor Clark for nine thirty. And uh, I like the way she uh, she's slamming the phone down. She shouts "bloody machines," the same way that uh, Derek did when he was fighting with the oh yeah video recorder. Same dialogue. Interesting. Kind yeah. of similar to his cartoon, really. Bloody machines, bloody junk mail. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she's she's clearly fragile here. Um, yeah, she sort of pauses just before she goes to her appointment because it's it's fairly soon, I think. Yeah. Um, but she sort of quickly pulls herself together to leave. And That's right. The end of that. Scene. Yeah, she's just trying to get on with get on with life, otherwise, isn't she? And and we're at the eye clinic now. I didn't know eye clinicians were doctors. It's a doctor Clark, anyway. Back at the opticians, that's obviously where we've seen her from the very first scene. Yeah, she's back there. Do- Dr. Clark is just giving her a, a test, assessing her vision. More the shot's so- slightly tilted as well. We're sort of looking up past Dr. Clark towards Margaret. It's very Roman Polanski, the way this scene's sort of put together. Now then, eyes wide open, if you will. And look to your left and to your right and up, and now look down. <laughs> the reaction from Margaret, she has seen something pretty, pretty horrifying. And suspicions are confirmed when she sees a coat and hat hung up on the hook. And, of course, she must be thinking, oh, no, all of this I put on Victor. And it's very strange. I think this this guy is flashing right there and then, just trying to carry on doing his job whilst presumably has his trousers down or, you know, something's going on and... uh, Goes without saying, Margaret will be feeling very regretful of those accusations to Victor right now. That that's another very short scene, isn't it? That's just to sort of almost wrap up that slight mystery of the the local pervert. Yeah. Uh, in the kitchen this time, I don't know it's later on in the afternoon. We've got Mr. Swaney keeping Margaret company, having a cup of tea, reflecting on the the good news that the police have got the the pervert now, the uh, the local flasher. And he's just being a friendly neighbour, and he's just checking in with his with his good friend Margaret. I've, I've written down he he gets slightly mixed up when Margaret speaks about how she can see it now, where, where Nick tells yeah, her not to dwell on about, it. Um, she's talking about all the things that Victor asserts are symptomatic of how ill the world is. Yeah, and she's saying, "Yeah, I can see it now." And he's like, "Well, if you don't dwell on it, it'll fade with time." She said, "No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not talking about the opticians." Yeah flashing activities i'm just talking about life in general it is less pleasant than i yeah uh, suspected and that's what i've written down it's just like how she talks and things aren't simple anymore where she really can see victor's point of view after all these years and she does smile at the thought of how victor's getting on down in the caravan which is quite nice and you're yeah. thinking just join him oh she wouldn't know where she where he is i suppose i mean yeah i doubt he had a mobile phone so no, she'd, she'd no have phone. no idea no I mean, you could trawl the the beaches of Dorset, hoping to find Victor nearby. But yeah, she's she's made her bed. She's got to just let him get on with his with his holiday. Yeah. And she and she, Victor and um, Mr. Swaney do momentarily have a bit of a deep conversation about ghosts and spirits. What do you think, Mr. Swaney, about it all? 
Is this all there is? Oh, I don't know. I... You'd love to believe, wouldn't you, that those you cared about are still there somewhere, keeping a benevolent eye on us, but... Mr. Sweeney looks on in hope, and, and it's quite meaningful, really, isn't it? He's looking out beyond their, the realms of their conversation, thinking somewhere, hope, hoping someone's keeping a benevolent eye on us, and I guess he's thinking of his mother in that, in that moment, isn't he? And, um... Yeah, I mean, he's recently lost his mother, um, and he's, he's obviously open to these kinds of conversations because it was only in the last episode that she was apparently whisked off to Jupiter. So, yeah, so he might be open-minded to, to that kind of thing a bit more, even though he's poo-pooing the, yeah. the haunted caravan, probably just to make Victor feel better. But yeah, it's, it's quite yeah, a deep scene. Yeah, he bought scene. psychic news for a reason. Maybe, yeah, maybe he's that's... sort of since losing his mother, he's started to look into these things, but he isn't isn't really sold yet. Yeah. I mean, there's that really moving scene, and I think it is Dawn of Man, isn't it, with Margaret and Mr. Yeah. Swain in the car. He, he's been pushing old ladies about who's going to push it. It's not the word for word, but who's going to look after me when I'm old? It's, it's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really nicely done scene. I, I love yeah. that. Yeah. It's a great episode. But Margaret snaps out of this conversation, just asking to borrow a ladder so she can crack on with some of the painting upstairs that she hasn't managed to complete. I guess she just wants to keep busy, which we could, you can understand that at this at this moment. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh, the, it's obviously yeah we're in the same time zone. We can see clearer where Victor has managed to park up. He's in amongst the the woodlands. It's quite nice by daylight. There's nothing it's ominous lovely. about it at all. It's quite yeah. peaceful scene. Trees, the bird song. Um, yeah. But then yeah, we but... cut to inside the caravan and find that both Victor and Margaret are in bed together. It's lovely. You sort of think, oh, that's that's they found some peace at last. You can hear the birds singing outside, and yeah, it's a close up of Victor waking up. And yeah, would you believe it? Margaret's there. It seems like she's had a change of heart. Maybe you think this is an, like a day later or something. It's the mm. following morning. I don't know. And they share a kiss. This is the first time they've been romantic for many series, but also just in this episode, they yeah, like I said, a bit of peace and harmony at last. Margaret glances at the uh, the time. I think she's in a rush. She says, I've got to go. And then the camera focuses on Victor. He sort of almost resumes a dream he's having. And he wakes up and he's quite gutted to see Margaret's not there. And he, he shoots up out of bed and has a glance at the time, which reads 10.37 on the digital clock. So he, poor, poor yeah, Victor. She was, she was saying she had to go and he was saying, no, don't go yet. That's right. Becomes... Uh, poignant later and to this day I can't look at a clock that says 10.37 without <laughs> thinking of that scene It's very sad isn't it he, he he's yeah. obviously missing her in his subconscious, he wants his wife there with him and although he's on his holiday it's just not the same without Margaret is it? God, is that the time? I've got to go No, not just yet Margaret Margaret, don't go just which, which brings him to the... I presume he's at Beachy Head, Cliffside, which Margaret mentioned earlier. The scene's earlier. filmed at Kimmeridge Bay in Dorset. Okay. Uh, but maybe it's set in Beachy Head. It's maybe it's set, yeah. Victor taking in the lovely views, sound of the seagulls, the wind blowing, nobody about. Uh, Victor rather sheepishly walks towards the uh, the caravan and with some brute strength, he manages to lift it off the, off the, like the tower off the, off the car, like the... The bit I can't remember the technical term, the bit that connects from the caravan to the towing part of the car. I managed to lift that up with one hand. Very strong, this lifter. 
just allow it just to roll down the hill as per the recommended sarcastic advice of Margaret in an earlier scene. And as I love he... the slight look of mischief on his face as it's rolling away as well. <laughs> yeah, because I think he, he, he feels like this is going to bring an end to their current tension in their relationship. The, the, what's getting in, getting in the way is this caravan. It symbolises the, the marital strains. And rather typically, the caravan doesn't make off the edge and it hangs on a knife edge, literally. A knife edge on the yeah. cliff edge. It doesn't... And I, I'm sure you read in the Richard Webber book the amount of um, harnesses this had to be strapped onto to make sure it didn't fall off. Obviously, they can't just risk that, but Victor's looking on in belief and, oh, for God's sake. Meanwhile, <laughs> like, what's what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this? In the background, the handbrake theme has come full circle because his car's rolling off the edge. Yeah, he doesn't see it off. until it sort of races past him. <laughs> Too late to do anything about it. It flies off the edge with such a lot of momentum. Apparently, they fired it from this sort of hydraulic ram to give it enough momentum to get it. So it just didn't sort of disappear straight down the cliff end. It needed to have some some flight before it went down. Yeah. Yeah. Really irresponsible of Victor, actually, just to let that caravan go, though. How did he know he wasn't going to kill someone? That's right. All this littering crap he goes on about, and then he just dumps a caravan on yeah. a beach, or at least tries to. That's like the the littering of all littering is to dump your your old vehicle or whatever you're transporting on a beachside. That's like worse than a crisp yeah. packet in the back garden, isn't it? Definitely, or a hubcap in the marigolds. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's another car in its grave in the Melju um, world. He's absolutely screwed now. Nowhere to go. Yeah, the, ne- the next one has some pornographic number plates, but uh, Piss off. <laughs> we'll come to that in another episode. <laughs> anyway, you've got some do-gooder calls out to Victor and asks Victor not to do anything on his own. He'll capsize the bugger. Small army of hikers, almost like Nick Sweeney types, come to Victor's aid. And this main guy who was offered support, is they're known as ramblers, like the keen mm. countryside hiking for pleasure type people. This chap has also got the one foot in the grave curse, where this is like one of his final appearances in any kind of TV show, and then he's not on TV again. And he died at quite a young age, at 56. The common theme I talk about on these episodes, some of these one-off characters, they either don't appear in anything again, or sadly they passed away. And this is another example. And there's a bit of banjo countryside music playing immediately as they're pulling up the, the caravan back onto the, the ledge. And that's an unfamiliar musical yeah, soundtrack, sort of isn't it? Dwarfs feel about, <laughs> about yeah, this scene. It is. Although, well, there are six of them, but yeah, it's sort of this little little army of helpers just comes out of the bushes yeah. to to get the caravan away from the cliff. And they're, I mean, they're very very nice, and they take them all the way back to Riverbank, and uh, the group of men help place the caravan back onto the front lawn. Man's rewarded with a bit of money, and they all head off in the four by four. And that's that Victor looking quite depleted and drained as he heads back into um, possibly the same atmosphere of a, of a house that he left. He seems to have been looking his... forward to going home. Really. No, you wouldn't, would you? What you movie just... was going to find her in? Yeah, is it going to be a sour atmosphere? We don't know. And he calls out for Margaret before Mr. Sweeney lets himself through the back door, which is ever the case with Mr. Sweeney, letting himself in. Yep. And uh, a bit of a panic. Mr. Meldrew. Oh, God. What's the matter? What's wrong? We've had messages out for you on Radio 4 and all sorts. 
Mrs. Meldrew, she'd just gone up a ladder outside here to do some painting. I said, did she want me to do it? She said, if I could just stand and hold the bottom, she'd be fine. Well, she'd done the bathroom, and she just got started on the bedroom, and... Oh, I don't know. I mean, the first thing I knew, I somehow half caught her. Well, uh, her foot slipped. They're saying it was a heart attack. It kind of reminds me of the way Mr. Swaney speaks of events in chronological order. It reminds me of Frank in Vicar Dibley when he's trying to break down what's happening with Mrs. Cropley when she's on her deathbed. And yeah, I'm going to have to press you for the shorter version, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I gave the door a little knock. Tap, tap, tap. Yeah very much like that and yeah quite devastating to hear that margaret has suffered a heart attack whilst up uh, a ladder whilst up a ladder i mean this is you, you you'll recall victor warning her to be careful on ladders but yeah she suffered a heart attack and it might explain her stresses or it's build up her stress levels have built up to possibly this heart attack um there could be other i'm sure other health reasons but certainly recent times have contributed towards this very dark now this is this is i mean this the show always hints at victor being unwell and and finding things wrong with him and here we are with margaret actually suffering from a, from a possible serious uh, illness disease. is it another one of those where this might be the last episode that's what i've written down this like, the series six wasn't penned been, yeah. yeah 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 exactly yeah so giving himself an out really but well, at least he could have done. No, when? Hospital. Yeah, but hospital, yeah. Um, there's the bleeping machine. Um, Nick and Victor are both there. There's the sort of heart monitor going on. And then uh, the heart monitor just sort of goes to the constant beep tone as if her heart has, has stopped. And oh, is, this is so sad. A series of flashbacks. Um, it's one of the few times we have an external soundtrack. Yeah, and that is. Um, uh, JJ Kale. Steep by JJ Kale. Yeah, it's a fantastic song. And Clapton. Um, I guess the only other camps have uh, Max Bygraves in uh, Hearts of Darkness and the Travelling Wilburys in the very last episode. Yes. Um, so we go through this sort of montage of, I think, possibly chronological montage of that. I think so. It is. I, 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 I've written down each and every moment, but I just think I remember watching this Christmas 97 and when it just focuses into Victor's eyes, like close up of his face into into his eyes, whereas he's looking up at the the heart monitor, coming, you know, basically indicating her heart has stopped beating, or slowing down, should we say? Mm. Oh, just devastated! And I thought, I can't believe. I didn't mean to say that phrase, but I cannot believe what we're about to see. We're about to kill off this main character, and like you said. A montage of clips. I think, yeah, they, they all. I think. I don't think it runs quite in chronological order until the end. I've made no, I think it, so it many. Because I think there's one from the Valley of Fear that happens towards the end, actually, if I remember rightly, and that was series one. So we got the, the first clip is Margaret wanted to read Victor's script in dramatic fever. Victor and Margaret in the back of the taxi in Love and Death. So that's series two for both those. Margaret giving Victor a kiss and descent into the maelstrom, series four. Victor and Margaret in the eternal quadrangle, sharing like a cuddly, a cuddly, sharing a cuddle in in the empty room before that engineer uh, yes. was staring at him. Series Spraying one. Each other with Raljex. See, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Victor receiving the watch and who's listening? Christmas ninety 
uh, clip of them on the beach in the Algarve. Christmas 93. Victor with a glass on his head, or stuck on his head in Love and Death Series 2. Victor with the copper watt piping sort of wrapped around his head in Dramatic Fever Series 2. A uh, clip of Victor buried underground in uh, up to his neck in Pit of the Pendulum. Series 4 where Margaret's having to blow his nose. Victor getting the blade between the, his legs in Wisdom of the Witch in Christmas 95. Uh, obviously Victor overlooking the police searching for Margaret in Dreamland Series 3. And that lyric, that moment that where he can, he's looking back at um, the police trying to search for Margaret in the river. The lyric the, that comes that plays as that show is "Bottom of the river, babe, and the river runs deep," which I thought timed quite well. But that is a lyric yeah. that repeats itself. To be fair, what else do we have? Victor blindfolded, looking at um, no, is it Victor with the blindfold on, looking at over at Margaret in disbelief. In, in, in warm champagne where she's quite off with him in that episode obviously yeah. the, the, the dead cat in uh, Valley of Fear series 1 Victor Bash's head on the steering wheel in, in the Beast of the Cage series 3 Victor and Margaret sharing another kiss in Dreamland series 3 the wooden puppet being walked into the bedroom and Sam Paper in the breasts hole in the sky it's like a two in one <laughs> clip in that one uh, Ma- uh, Margaret strang- pretending to strangle Vic in a game of charades in uh, Mr. Swainy's in Dreamland um, just, and then Victor po- pointing the finger at Margaret when they're having a little bit of a sort of not a squabble but in Descent into the Maelstrom Series 4 Victor and Margaret loggerheads over the Millicent in Series 5 at the Fair of the Holland Lady God there's a lot of clips there Victor yeah. sawing off the teddy bear head in Tricks on the Roof Tricks on the Roof yeah and then it brings us to like the present with a clip of um, Victor walking out on Margaret after a fallout, and of course the um, another recent clip of him waking up after his dream of Margaret, and of course the car falling off the ledge, and him looking on in disbelief, and then another previous clip from the episode of wiping the paint off Victor's cheek, Margaret, sorry, wiping the paint off Victor's cheek, and eventually, finally. The last clip is of him heading into their home. So he's obviously recounting very recent memories as well towards the end, like we were saying. Um, so they're not chronological, but they, they sort of converge on the last episode. And I know they couldn't do this, but you'd think you'd have memories of them as as much younger couple. Mm. But obviously, how would they do that for us to, to view? Just sorry, two seconds, my dog. I can hear him, yeah. Sorry about that. That was right. a moment when we... When I come to edit that, <laughs> him whining in the background. It's not a lot Renwick could do about giving us clips of that art that don't exist, but it did work really well. What a sad montage. I think, oh, just that gets me every time. And uh, Victor snaps out of this reminiscing moment, doesn't he? As he is interrupted by the sharp sound of, like, of the door opening, which adds a bit of reverb sound effect as the nurse comes in. Bloody machines. <laughs> We can operate their quantum malfunctions of this kind. There's a circuitry problem somewhere. We're going to have to send them back. Actually, she's speaking out rather well, Mr. Meldrew. I'm not nearly as concerned as I was after that very scary moment in your garden. Yeah. And she played by Regina Friedman. She assertively bashes the life support machine, bit like Onslow style in Keeping Appearances. <laughs> of course, yeah. Uttering the phrase "bloody machines," like it's been mentioned. Oh, did she earlier. say that, is that okay, yeah. three times as well? Brilliant. So that's, okay. I've done that on purpose. I hadn't noticed that one. 
And just like that, out of nowhere, from absolute tragedy to, to tears, well, tragedy and tears to sheer relief, should I say. I mean, those tears are turning to laughter now because that heart machine, the heart monitor is working. Margaret isn't dead, thank God. Victor's still looking on, sort of expressionless. He doesn't seem to be showing any emotions. He's probably, he's traumatised now. He's probably in a, in a yeah. state of shock because he's all but saying goodbye. And I think the nurse blames circuitry problems and it turns out, yeah, Margaret is actually quite well. She's picked up um, health-wise in, in recent times. I mean, that's the genius of Renwick, in it? That's peak one foot stuff from utter tragedy to comedy in that moment. Just in but, one instant, yeah. I mean, nobody does it like Renwick. That just switched from tragedy to hilarity is just so well executed here. And, and I, mean, I think arguably the most what the fuck moment, I suppose, in the whole of One Foot in the Grave. And I think the right this is the writing of Renwick, which is incredible. But of course, the nurse says For a couple of seconds at ten thirty seven this morning, she was technically dead. We've got a couple of very skilled paramedics to thank she's still with us. Yeah. In the caravan, yeah. Ten thirty seven, which we like you said, we've seen that Victor digital clock when he was dreaming red or when he woke up red 10 10 37 he just turned to margaret so this is very spooky this is very he was telling her not to go yeah that's the fact that she's saying i i've got to go he's saying please don't go or don't go margaret that's just wow you didn't have to be the bit in... where i crack in this is where um as they're just about to leave just before they've had that conversation him and nick in the corridor yeah she starts snoring just as they're leaving oh yes yeah, that's, just a, that's usually where I crack for this one. Yeah, it's just to reaffirm that all is okay. I yeah. know that, not to get too uh, te- technical or too medical, but with heart attack sufferers, they do let out a snore, don't they? When apparently that's a common thing. That's, it's like a grunt because I've, I've read about it and I've, um, I know there's right. a bit of elements of like, almost like a snore when they're passing away. And it's almost when it's a heart attack. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's very dark to mention that. But she's obviously snoring in, in a positive light because that's what she does. She snores. I've, yeah. I've never known her to snore before this episode, mind. But um, it's nice that when he looks back. And then when he's in the corridor with, with, with Mr. Swaney, this is where he really is looking back to his dream. But was it a dream? You know, he just can't get over the fact that she died at 1037. That's when he dreamt of her and she said she's, she needs to go. And he says, don't go yet, or words of that effect. You're right, Mr. Meldrum. Yes, it's just 10.37. Sorry? That's what it said in our clock in that caravan this morning. I'd just been dreaming that she was there. She said it was time for her to go. And I said, no, don't go just yet. Oh, God, that is spooky. In the caravan. And Mr. Sweeney is sort of taken in with this rather ghostly type news. Yeah, is it, what is it intrigued even... that this happened in, in the haunted caravan? Yeah, yeah. And they're both distracted by a, a, a loud entrance of the hospital. Well, no, no, sorry, they're not interrupted. Let me just go back a bit. They're interrupted by the sight of the elderly lady, Mrs. Akani who Victor doesn't know, have any idea who this is. And this is where it becomes a paradox. <laughs> I've never clapped eyes on her. Like, I don't, <laughs> well, who, Nick's like, well, who did you pick up then from the... 
from the airport. <laughs> and then, of course, we see the interruption you mentioned of uh, McVitie being wheeled in in tinfoil, followed by, is it Rickles? Yeah, Rickles. The detective, no, like who Boise, I... that one, yeah. When Derek is, is brought in on, on the trolley, there's a doctor shouting out saying we've got a um, not nervous a hysteric, and it, that sounded just like Renwick, but it isn't because I've replayed. It's a very brief clip of the three doctors pushing him, and you can see the person speaking eventually. But it really, to me, sounded just like Renwick, and I wouldn't have been surprised if it was. But only yeah. when I saw that, it clearly wasn't. In one scene, you've got Mrs. Akani who's still not been tended to, or when she's looking better, but she's still not in her home because of Victor. I think so. She would have ever gone in the home because she's unwell. You've got Derek, who's having had a little. Nervous... Does she know that there's this complete stranger in her flat when she gets back? Yeah. She's just going to find this prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> um, all, That's all a bit of, of an echo back to uh, uh, warm champagne as well, isn't it? With the old woman. Yeah. In the wrong bed. <laughs> yeah. And what the bloody hell am I doing, whispering? <laughs> and we don't really. We're, we're not going to see the reaction to Mr. Sweeney, I'm sure he'd still be nice about it. Oh, you made a mistake. It's okay. It could have happened to anyone. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he'd have a grudge at all. He'd, no. he'd be asking him to do it again, even. Yeah. <laughs> Rickles would, would, follows Derek, doesn't he? Like, just keep keep all eyes on him. Don't don't keep out of your sight. Like, as if that would happen. Like, so yep. there's not an, a shred of decency by Rickles. It's very um, comedy acting, isn't it? It's brilliant. <laughs> oh, anyway. So yeah, these three three storylines just sort of uh, hit each other in the yeah, same scene. Yeah, they all collide yeah, each other in that one nice. that one hospital corridor, and we're, they're back mm-hmm. home. And it's a bit like the end of Wisdom of the Witch, where Margaret's happy to see Victor moaning again, because yeah, it's a bit more of a it's sometime in the, in the not too distant future, very much peaceful. Margaret is dusting the painting, again that's come mm-hmm. full circle. Something that very much anguished her caused a lot of stress and now she's got this picture framed and it's she's dusting it and she's proud of it yeah it's lovely polishing it with quite some affection as well sort of smiling as it's on the wall where the the pig's head from warm champagne used to be yeah Um, and and then victor's coming in and going alpha leather about traffic or something yeah and roundabout flipped back now we've got calmness on margaret and and normality aggression back in victor so we're back to we're back to the uh, standard impression of one foot in the grave about Victor being That's the right. grumpy old man. Unbelievable people on the roads today. Have you noticed they're going round a roundabout now? It's like Russian roulette. <laughs> people don't have a bar to stop anymore. They just shoot straight on as if they didn't have a minute to live. What did the doctor say? Does he think you need counselling for your stress? <laughs> yeah, um, accusing <laughs> drivers of playing Russian roulette on the roundabout. and yeah. Uh, yeah. Sort of a weird foreshadowing for his eventual death by getting hit by a car because he talks about how he's nearly getting run over or nearly colliding with other cars. Margaret calmly asks how his doctor's appointment went and and if he'd be recommended for counselling. And I think Does he need counselling for his stress? Yeah. yeah it's, it's like, hang like, on a minute. Yes, of course he does. Yeah. Plus <laughs> but he's Margaret, needed that for the last forty years. <laughs> but surely Margaret and needed it early in this episode, which I thought was ironic. But uh I, I think, think it was they both it, could do with some but his his visit was for his dodgy bowels, wasn't it? I suppose. And um... no, it was just for stress. This was is it? why he has this. Oh. Um, it's a bit weird that he's been sort of staked out on the the bed in the doctor's surgery because somebody's put anal cyst instead of <laughs> yeah. analyst. And a... 
So for well, once, this has nothing to do with his, 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 his digestive system. He was just yeah. literally in there for stress and ended up nearly yeah. having a chrome pipe shoved up him. And he didn't he he, he compared did he compare the the GP to that locum the one that looks like Pee Wee Herman which is a comic fictional character apparently by oh. Paul Rubens I didn't again I just don't know who that is I'm so yeah. ignorant to it's this one of those things I only know from One Foot in the Grave yeah but I don't I don't know but brilliant Pee-wee gag with, a great gag with the anal cyst an- analysis <laughs> brilliant and he got he went ahead with the, with this probe then I presume that he did have a probe up his backside. But, okay. No, he he, he aborted the appointment. I Did think, he? Just oh, before. okay. Yeah. What moments uh, before? He said he was, he was laid on his back with everything down, thinking oh. this can't be right. Before <laughs> they they came towards him with a yeah. some sort of I don't know colonoscopy type thing. I don't know. But in in uh, the moment, he does stop himself mid rant and calmly asks Margaret. Well, he apologises and asks if she's okay, but he just clarifies that he's been prescribed some diazepam three a day to bring down his uh, stress levels. As required. Yes. Uh, but it was a bit strange. This wasn't really about Margaret as such, considering she's, had, she, she's suffered the heart attack. It's not really a wrap-up of Margaret's health. Is it just happened? There's not, like, a cause for it. It's not, like, is it stress? I mean, I suppose you can already know the cause of a heart attack unless you're, if you're morbidly obese or whatever. But she's, she's obviously yeah, not. I don't know. So it's just, she's, just she's happened, mean... natural a natural thing that's occurred to her body. Um, yeah, she's been under a great deal of stress. I mean, it, it must take a lot out of you to be that angry for such a prolonged period of time. Yeah. And then it just all came to a head when when she accused Victor of this terrible thing, was probably racked with guilt after she'd gone. Yeah. Couldn't contact him. Was trying her best to keep busy by getting things done, but yeah. actually she just succumbed. Well, Margaret's all right. She's, she's had coffee with Betty and says Derek's getting on fine since things were sorted out. Almost Perhaps fine, apart from screaming. night terrors or whatever, yeah. yeah. And, and the fact is his right hand is still basically a claw and he can just about grip a pencil with the help of an elastic band. <laughs> that, that smacks... And there's a buyer for the caravan. Yeah. The caravan's gone as well, so they have, they've come to an agreement on that now. And the buyer um, claims to be a reincarnation of Richard Stilgo. But Victor yeah. says he's still a, he's, he's not dead, is he? And he still isn't at the age of seventy seven. <laughs> yeah. No. If you, go, if you go back to uh Margaret saying that Derek's basically okay, but his his hands still because he's so stressed, his hands like permanently closed. When she mentions that he can hold a pen with the help of an elastic or grip help grip a pen pencil with the help of an elastic band. That reminded me of a John, the Jonathan Creek episode with The Restless Tomb with the um Restless the Tomb firing the gun. Frank from Vicar Dibley, can't remember his name. Him, wasn't it? He had arth- crippling arthritis in his hand, didn't he? Oh yes, of it's course. It's not the same. Uh, it just reminded me yeah. of that storyline where he can hardly grip anything and elastic bands mm. be used to lock the door whatever or string so yeah creak out my head but victor a bit of reflection from him speaks of his relief when he thought he was going to lose margaret and uh it's all very feel good isn't it when i thought for those couple of seconds the other week with that of course i'm going to be all right you don't think i'd leave you do you to fend for yourself (laughs) you wouldn't last five minutes stop worrying you'll be the first to go I've got it. <laughs> well, I just took... <laughs> what do you mean? 
she doesn't immediately register and starts talking about something else in the way late response in it sort of has replayed what she's just said and he's like what do you mean <laughs> what do you mean i'll be the first to go it's always the man first as you're saying yeah yeah but yeah perfect comedy timing from richard wilson's in that and she i'm yeah. sure margaret's referenced this kind of doom and gloom before what were head victor's way will be the stuff of nightmares before but long before margaret life's end i'm, I'm sure it's mentioned plague of devils wis- in the wisdom of wisdom the witch. witch perhaps that yeah and there's a bit of a double entendre as victor walks into the kitchen we can't see them at this point he asks margaret if he can face the sausage i think it's to do with the the flashing of the, the uh, optician yeah that's yeah. that i suppose you still can't face the sausage you're like <laughs> yeah. no not with the lights on fish fingers then <laughs> three fish fingers i'll oh, like the grill I think the the boomerang's in shot as well. I, I saw, so they he's, he's put. Yeah, it is for most of this episode. Yeah, it's from pretty much as from soon as we receive on. it. Yeah. yeah, I think it fits. I think it goes quite well with the decor on top of that brown unit. I'm and glad they kept it. Yeah, I think I think that's very right that they do so. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the end. End yeah, game. Roll. Done. And uh, wow, that is I can't. I, I never envisaged getting through those three specials because it just seemed like a lot of work fun work we you got the editing to do next that'll oh be the God. real challenge we've been talking for three <laughs> hours now i mean i set aside four hours just to be safe but to me three hours goes by in an instant i don't know about for, for you a couple yeah, of, couple of so. um, toilet breaks but wow i mean that's a combined yeah 10 hours of, of recording just for those three specials mm. incredible uh, what was your highlight for that episode? Oh, now, um, I think for me about this de- this episode, the things that I really like are the bits that make you feel a bit cold, um, such as the caravan scene where he's dreaming, um, mm. the bits where she's snoring. Yeah. Um, those very sort of, the bits, I, the th- thing I like most about comedy, I think the, re- the reason I like this show so much is the, the pathos that's in it. I, d- I don't yeah. particularly like silly comedy. I like I like the sort of as it were the interface between tragedy and comedy and and one foot in the grave, yeah. In particular, spans that interface really well in this episode and in those moments. Yes, yeah. It's always about the pathos, isn't it? It's always a payoff yeah. with the, the tiniest of elements of this show that you think aren't important, and it always it's always fully well rounded, isn't it? Yeah. I suppose the biggest message is Margaret really was the suffering wife all the stress that's amassed in this episode. Obviously, we saw it in Descent into the Maelstrom, where she's suffering from blackouts, and the doctor suspected it was due to the 28, well, 30-odd years of, of marriage, as guessed by the doctor as to why she was suffering from these blackouts. Yeah, I guess the, the stress is she suffered from losing a job in Hole in the Sky. That's probably all led up to this moment. The highlight's got to be, I suppose, the, the sheer relief of, well, apart from the, the spooky dream ghostly moment with the 1037 on the clock i suppose when the when the nurse just whacks the monitor back to life and just a relief but i think just that whole scene is done so well it's so sad when the the beep becomes one flat tone and victor's got that we we just see very clearly in his eyes this is it you're saying goodbye to your wife of 37 38 years done christ that's just and that that montage. And he's just kind of rooted to the spot as well. He doesn't he doesn't get up and start shouting for nurses. It's all very calm. He's just staring at her. I mean, yeah. we don't really know how quickly time really passed for him over that montage. I mean, that could have all happened in an instant. 
That's but true. It didn't, it didn't feel like it. But he's time relative. Lucky. Yeah, time is not relative to what we're seeing, to what's in Victor's mind. You're quite right. It could have just been mm. a few seconds. Yeah, incredible. I mean, that, considering this is a sitcom, the amount of drama you get in this is just on another level. I think that's why it's deserved. I mean, it's the best comedy of the 1990s by Country Mile. And I have a very long way. Yeah, and of all time, it's in it was in the the 2004 top one, well, top ten out of 100 comedies voted by the public. I don't know what that would look like now, with young audiences now probably voting other comedies further up. They might maybe your Yes Ministers will go further down, and perhaps Dad's Army would come further down, and with the younger audience, they'd probably push up The Office a lot more and push up Partridge further up and Peep Show, which are great comedies, but. One from the grave. I'm glad it got in the, that top ten. For me, it's probably a top five, second favorite comedy of all time, easily behind Fools. In many ways, it's not, it's still just as good as Fools. I just think for me, from personally, the memories of Fools and Horses goes back to watching it as a, a almost toddler age, not understanding what the hell's going on, but just knowing it's brought some light into my little life at the time. But one foot, oh, it's just too good. And now we're on the, the final stretch. Six thirty minutes yep. and a comic relief. It's a strange feeling watching series six because the quality of picture is sharper and it just almost fits into modern times and it's unusual because one foot's always looked a little dated. Without not the the comedy and the writing isn't dated, but the visually it's always looked a bit dated. And yeah, series six is different. Six is, is the photography slightly different and it's it's clear it's a different director. Yeah, this time. Yeah. Um, Chris Gurnham very much put her own stamp on how the stories were told and how, yeah. how some of the shots were framed. Yes. Um, it's, it does have a very different feel about it. And I think the script has a different feel as well, to be honest. You can, some of the episodes, you can kind of tell uh, that Renwick is kind of coming to the end. Mm. If, you didn't, if you didn't know what the last episode contained, you'd, you'd, I think halfway through this series, you'd probably guess it was the last yeah. one. Yes, I think so. And like I said, three more years till Series 6 is aired. Um, I yeah. do wish, I wish they never written in, in, in Luton Airport, Noel can he scream, I wish it was never apparent that Margaret tended to Mr. Sweeney's mother because I love the idea that she might not exist. Because <laughs> I, I keep forgetting that yeah. little fact. And a number of times i said on the podcast, oh, she's probably a bit like Psycho or the fact that she's not, this mother in his life has been dead for years or she just doesn't exist. Of course, Margaret is, unless you, you can really clutch at straws and say Margaret didn't really see her. She was just humoring Mr. Sweeney because she didn't know him and she's a bit scared of him at the time, but she would have probably mentioned it another time. Like, oh, there's no such. She would have certainly mentioned that to Victor. Yeah. Least. But then, um, who was operating the fishing rod? Oh, that's the other thing, isn't it? Yeah. But because Richard Weber writes in the book about, he's, he's, he debates whether or suspects this mother being a figment of his imagination and all yeah. being left to the view. But I thought, I want to say, hang on a minute, that you must have seen Margaret. We have tent. witnesses. Margaret, yeah. we've got and like you said, the fishing, Margaret's been there, yeah. the fishing rod as well. So, uh, but like you said, Owen Bredham got um, offered auditions for fat people, um, <laughs> to, to play fat people, sorry. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, work is work, isn't it? But that would involve... so. You don't want everybody making you a fat suit, though. That would be... Uh... But Expensive. I suppose it, it gives him license to let himself go. Like, oh, I can just eat what I like <laughs> and then I can be fat and then that's all right. 
True, yeah. yeah. Piling the cheesecakes, get himself yeah. a few more parts. That's I don't right. think he struggle for work, though. Yeah. yeah. Is, he, is he in that daytime TV show that I've never watched? Is it Doctors or something like that? Yeah, he was in Doctors for a long time, but I think he's been written out of it now. Right. Yeah. Remway, the only very other dark. I've seen him really, uh, 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 2.4 Children. Yeah, he was in early um, series one, wasn't he? Feather. Yeah. Yeah. Look out for the. Oh, um, Jonathan Creek and Love Soup. He was in both of those, wasn't he? Which Creek episode was he in? Oh, was he in Jonathan? No, he wasn't in Jonathan Creek. <laughs> I don't remember. He him was that. in Love Soup though. He was a he was a TV production manager guy in, in right. Love Soup. Do we think Renwick has written this Endgame episode with the idea that ghosts could exist? Because obviously the storyline with Victor thinking he's well. Victor thinks he's dreamt of Margaret, but he suspects with the time element of when she died, is Remick trying to put the message out there that... Because he's a very sceptical person, isn't he, Remick, with this kind of thing. He often writes about mis- uh, mis- ghost- ghostly mysteries or the impossible, but then he'll always end up revealing that it wasn't what you think it is. But he's left this quite yeah, it's open. it's a sort of Scooby-Doo of, of adult television, really, isn't it? Is the, yeah. um, I think it'd be quite difficult to write Jonathan Creek and still believe... Mm in paranormal explanations for um, yeah. pretty much anything because most of it's been covered in Jonathan Creek. Yes, but it's, yeah, uh, paranormal. Yeah, I don't think he's a believer in that, but just for this episode, he's, he's left it to the imagination, just purely coincidental that Victor dreamt of Margaret and then waking up to see the time of 10.37 or was it to intend to open our minds up to the... To the um, paranormal but i don't know what a great episode it's yeah. a te- it's a 10 out of 10 for me it's my favorite episode it's a bit of a roller coaster of, a, of an episode it's probably not i can see why it's not everyone's favorite because it's quite sad and tragic and and a difficult watch and and the arguments are quite tense but it's got a love it's, it's got a nice ending in, in the, the tension between them makes it a really claustrophobic yeah. episode it's not one you'd put on if you're wanting a laugh yes uh, yeah. If you want in a laugh a minute, this isn't the episode for you. You might be better off with the cat in the freezer episode or something. Yeah. Because um, this no. one takes effort. In fact, I think all three of these specials takes effort. Absolutely. Uh, did you read that Renwick often feels, he's got quite the same, suicidal when he's trying to think of an episode? And I think this particular episode, when he had the rough draft written, like the first edit, he was, I think he gets very depressed about what people will make of it in the in the reading room and and he's just very con- very conscious it's probably why he's so bloody good because he's that much of a deep thinker he'll go back to it until it's absolutely perfected he's yeah. meticulous isn't he oh, yeah very. i think i did read that with this episode he he saw uh an initial edit and just felt completely deflated by it yeah um, yeah absolutely but then when he watched it go out on tv at home he he saw how good it was I mean, he nearly scrapped this particular idea for the show because Creek was obviously being written at that point and aired. But the idea, we say, was refreshed and reviewed and just added a few characters. And I think he resisted bringing Patrick and Pippa back. I don't know if he stated why. I think you just need to give them a break because they did. They were quite prominent, weren't they, in Wisdom, the Witch, and Starbound. Well, sort of prominent in Starbound. It's a bit of a masterstroke getting in Tim Brooke Taylor. I love to see yeah. how Derek and Betty would have fared as long-term neighbours, but you can understand why they were one-offs and why they would move away. Because by the time Series Six comes out, it's a couple of years later, so perhaps Derek just got there's probably untold amount of stresses and 
misdemeanors with Victor, like Patrick would have experienced that made that pushed him over the edge, gone right, I need to move now. They were both way less resilient than Patrick and Pippa. Patrick kind of enjoyed the war. Yes. Yeah, he did. Patrick's quite a flat guy. He doesn't apparently have really any hobbies. He works. He's quite dull, really. Yeah. The war with Victor was the only thing that made him vaguely interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't think Derek had any uh, capacity to do anything like that, to, to sort of be this weird foil for Victor's bizarre behaviours. Mm. I'd, so. I I would say Pippa was a funnier character than Betty as well. I think maybe Definitely. even as an actress, she seemed to de- deliver her lines more comically. Um, I mean, no disrespect to, is it Marion McLaughlin? But I just think Pippa, Patrick and Pippa were much funnier as a, it's for, for the storylines of, in the world of Victor and Margaret, I think it just worked be- probably better. But as a one-off, this was still really good, really good. But yeah, those are my final thoughts on it. And thank you for giving up hours of your time on your day off. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Not at all. It's listeners. Been a lot of fun. It's been real, real good fun, actually. It's just flown by. And I'm just grateful for listeners for uh, downloading the second part of this. And six episodes in total I've, I've done for the for the specials, two each. So uh, that's come to an end. We're into the final stretch as i said series six that'll be recorded soon i think we've got time for a meldrew moan despite the hours of recording i think you were saying you haven't got one but i've got a very brief one that came to me the other day so here is my meldrew moan oh i do not will you look at this bastards can you believe the nerve of this i'll skin their ruddy heights for them it's been a long time since I give one actually on on the podcast. I did actually have a rant about, but not officially done one. But um, I came to me the other day that uh, it's to do with magicians, <laughs> not magicians as a as a as a trait or a skill or a hobby or people who are some magicians street magic, up close magic. They'll do a trick. David Blaine, Dynamo, an amazing trick, and then they just walk off. It's such arrogance. But they claim that what they love about their career or what they do is seeing people's reactions. They're not really seeing their reactions when they walk off. And I just can't stand it. Um, it's not every street magician who does that. Or, but it, it just came to me the other day. I hadn't even watched anything to do with David Blaine or, or Dynamo. I can't, even, I can't think of another example for comedians. A comedian of a magician that does this, but there are there are a few on YouTube that do the same thing, and I just think there's a spot of arrogance about it. Does it matter? But it really, I just thought I'd love to moan about that one day. And that's it. That's that's a bit of a bit moan for me. Unless you thought of something in that very brief time of me whinging about something pointless. As soon as we turn this recording off, I'll think of a million things to moan about. But at the minute, no. But I know what you mean about the magicians. Like you never see, you never see Darren Brown, for example, wandering off. He likes to stay for the fireworks, doesn't he? That's quite right. He's he's, he's very a little bit more humility. Not very much, charming. but a little bit more. Yeah, <laughs> I do yeah. like Darren Brown. He 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 really plays with you, doesn't he? he? He almost, in the most subtle way, takes the mick out of those he's just tricked because he he's sort of grinning at them and sort of saying how he fooled them, and he 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 sort of educates people on. on 
the trick of how the mind is operating in that moment. So it's um, a spot of science that comes with his trick, but in terms of mental thinking. But yeah, that just came to me. I don't know why. Maybe it's in the back of my mind because Renwick uh, himself can write, obviously with Jonathan Creek, he's written this character to be a magician, not assistant, but someone who creates tricks. But I wasn't thinking of that, but maybe that's at the back of my mind why I want to moan about magicians. But yeah, that's my <clears throat> final mail to moan for now. And if you'd like to get in touch, as ever, one foot in the podcast at gmail.com. Tweet, tweet me at one foot in the pod. Ben, you are at Radio Quiet. Is that right? That's right. Ben has got all the knowledge of one foot. Like, I think it's worth getting his opinion on certain elements of this, uh, this show. Ben, you might be getting some tweets soon. Thank you very much, everyone. Take good care. And we should be back very soon. I can't say when because I don't know at this point when I'm going to record. But very soon, I would have thought. Ben, take good care. Enjoy your time off. And we'll uh, be in touch soon. Take care, everyone. You too. We'll see you soon.